This is VC Projects Podcast. And today my guest is this quantum soprano, Shuka Ashvar. And she's going to be joining us in the upcoming exhibition and event, actually, um, Translations of Beings Through Sight and Sound. Um, Shuka is also a composer. And this is the second podcast we've done together. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Victoria, for having me here today and also for the wonderful program on Saturday. It's an honor for me to be here with you. Oh, oh thank you. It's, um, this is like a dream that I've had for so long <laughs> <laughs> playing in my head and, um, and daydreaming about. And so the last performance you did, um, uh, select excerpts from your opera that you wrote and composed, um, Women and Women Immigration Fight and Flight, uh, which we did during the reception of Natasha Rodenko's solo exhibition, was just truly um, life-changing. I know that the audience members were so inspired just as I was, and um, I had to ask you to come back and um, create a program that you felt was a necessity. And let's talk a little bit about um, your selections. And not only are you performing um, select arias and um, art songs, but you're also gonna speak about um, legendary sopranos and um, notable composers. So tell me more about, about this, this particular group of compositions you've selected and why. Sure, absolutely. So, um, well, the first thing is that the selection of works that I've chosen were definitely my favorite to sing. And um, it is wonderful to know that the beauty of classical technique is not just within operatic pieces, and you find it through art songs as well. And in fact, in art songs, you are showing a different um, talent of you as a singer, singing in it with a different feeling and with a little bit of a different style, which is slightly different than opera. And um, knowing you know me that uh, I am I'm an activist in, well, I better say I'm very um, curious and I'm constantly researching and reading about women's rights and how to um, be a more virtuous woman for myself and women in the world in general. And um, knowing that I composed an opera on women's rights, I chose this program to talk about um, the leading opera singers that premiered these pieces and also the life of some of these composers that um, some women had big roles in their lives for them to compose these amazing pieces. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to let the audience know that these legendary sopranos that I will talk about, it was not easy for them uh, to get to high stages of opera, for example, being um, like one of the um, sopranos that I will talk about, she was with the Met Opera House for 12 seasons. And um, just, uh, I just really would like the world to know that keeping a healthy 
operatic um, life and singing for a number of years with a healthy vocal fold and healthy technique for a woman has always been challenging. Of course, it's challenging for men as well. But when we talk about opera, we go back to 200 years ago until now. And women had less rights compared to now. For example, I go through challenges, but I know I am my own master right now. And which still, if I want to get married and have kids, there will be some duties that will limit my hands in the world of opera. Whereas the women of 200 years ago until now in the world of opera, they have had enormous challenges that we don't have to think about today. And, and one, one of them to mention is, for example, some of them, in order to financially be able to be in this world, they had to marry people with some wealth. And um, it, the challenge was to um, have that kind of life and sacrifice some of their needs for them to be able to be in the world of opera because their roles as women were fixed as being wives and um, having children. So um, there's a lot of story to this, which I will talk more when I go to pieces, each piece. But um, all I'm here to say is that um, it takes one extra step for women to be successful in this career um, because of their role in their married life and how they handle finances. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's quite fascinating. Um, you sent me a couple, I asked you to send me a couple documentaries on on women or just on opera, just the history of opera. I mean, I, I love opera, I've always loved it. I don't know an enormous amount about it, but I've always, um, from when I can remember, listened and tuned in as, as much as I could and would go see the opera. Um, but listening to the documentary was quite fascinating. And I also learned that there's not too many women that have actually written operas and um, there's just there's just so much history. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to share some of the um, pieces or some of these legendary sopranos that you're sort of inspired by? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think um, in the beginning, I would like to mention what opera means and um, how it's different than a theatrical work, for example, in musical theater, and what makes it slightly difficult, more difficult than a musical theater genre, which I absolutely love musical theater. But in opera, um, in fact, um, so opera comes from the word oper, which um, means work, music, and it comes from Italy. And um, so what it means was that the composer has to constantly work with the librettist, the person who's writing the lyrics, to um, not only put songs and words, but the science of when each vowel and consonant, based on their stresses, based on the diction of each language, what kind of notes will the composer put, will put for those uh, words? Where is the melody? Um, ascending. Uh, what's the progression of the low note going to the high note and coming back down? 
how is the orchestra accompanying um, the singers and how is the orchestra creating that um, atmosphere for the singers? So these are all very important components that makes a difference between musical theater and opera. And at the same time, in opera, there's never regular speaking on the scenes. So there's theater with music, but when the singers are speaking lines, it's called the recitative. So it means they are still putting some pitch on those words, and it's a specific technique that we call it speak singing. And um, so opera started with uh, little scenes. And um, in the beginning, it was like more comic opera. And so as years progressed, it became opera seria and um, more composers started writing more serious roles and then it turned to more dramatic roles. And um, so it definitely started from Italy and for a long time, Italian opera was being spread all over the Europe. And, um, but as years passed by, we had French opera, German opera. And um, so um, I would like to talk about a few of um, these pieces mm -hmm. and the interesting life of some of those sopranos Mm -hmm. And on some of the pieces, um, it's really difficult to know what singer premiered those works. But mm -hmm. interestingly, I found uh, very interesting stories of how some women had a crucial role in that composer's life. Um, I would like to start with my most, one of my most famous, uh, favorite composers, Debussy. And... Um, the piece that I'm going to sing is called Voici que le printemps, means here are the voices of spring. Mm. It's a very beautiful piece and um, it is about, um, it's, it's basically describing how beautiful the spring is. And um, knowing that um, I'm Iranian, so this piece and the beauty of it immediately sparked with me. Um, so what I would really like to talk about is the um, story of Debussy's life um, on this piece, more than um, the first singer who sang it, which still is a myth. I believe her name is Ellie Ameling. She was a very famous Dutch soprano, very worldwide famous. So um, Debussy composed this piece in 1884. And um, interestingly, this piece is a piece in a book that Debussy actually dedicated to a woman that he was in love with. Hmm. And when I started studying the um, life story and personality of Debussy, it was very interesting because um, one might not even like had a, a like slightest idea that Debussy um, was notorious for being an utmost narcissist. Oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> Okay, narcissist, <laughs> very self-absorbed, and um, it was shocking to me when I read it because his music is just does something with my soul that I cannot describe. It just sets all of my pains free, mm -hmm. and um, it is um, it's very interesting that um, he was um, he had a very unusual love life because of his personality and. Um, definitely, I'm not here to judge um, his musical abilities at all. I'm just stating some facts. Mm -hmm. But what is very important for um, me to tell the audience is that Debussy 
was able to compose those pieces because of the financial and emotional support of the women near him. Mm, and um, very, very interesting. Um, it almost, um, it is really sad that in such scenarios, we never talk about those women. We, we never know. And I, as a singer, if it was not for this program, I would have never digged in to know these about Debussy. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, when he was 18, he, um, he met uh, a lady called um, Marie Blanche Vasnier. And this woman was married at the time. So apparently their relationship started with her teaching him the art of love because he was quite a young kid, 18, and she was eight years older than him. So it was a very interesting relationship where she was instructing him how to know everything. Right. <laughs> That's great. I enjoy that. <laughs> so, so this lady, she was an important part of Debussy's life because she and her art history as a woman, which is very, I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, she, with that art history, and also with her knowledge of poetry, she really influenced Debussy for writing a lot of uh, his love songs, which, mm -hmm. wow. uh, which Debussy is famous for. And uh -huh. um, well, Debussy is definitely famous for non-vocal works, but also for vocal works. And so this lady was a crucial part of, the start of Debussy's career. And Debussy used to be her um, piano accompanist. And um, so as, as time goes by, Debussy goes in another relationship with another woman that she was also a crucial, a very crucial part in Debussy's success. Her name was Gabby. And um, she used to be the breadwinner of the household and they were living together. So, um, she was, um, she was financially helping him for a lot of, because Debussy was struggling uh, with finances, which is very, another example of when um, composers and musicians are not necessarily completely honored in their own time. And mm -hmm. it takes a while for the society to accept their new ideas, mm -hmm. uh, which was Debussy's case because he brought a revolution in the world of music. Um, he, he respected the structure of the genre before him, like Beethoven, like Bach, Beethoven, but then he started bringing this kind of free <clears throat> improvisation style with, along with some other people um, that just brought a more, um, he brought real changes in the structure of harmony and rhythm in music. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's famous for. So, um, so again, he fell in love with another woman, which is not surprise, surprising of a narcissist. And um, again, uh, he, wanted to, um, he wanted to marry that woman while being in a relationship with Gabby. He was a real mess when it came to relationships. I did not know this. <laughs> um, anyways, that, that was his personality. And then he was trying to get like, um, a, his, one of his friends was helping him financially as well. And he was to all of a sudden, he was going to withdraw a big sum of money from his account on short notice. Mm. And so everything got blown up and eventually he couldn't marry that other girl. Gabby broke up with him and um, 
Maybe she ended up marrying Gabby's friend. <laughs> <laughs> So, so long story short, um, what we I didn't know about DBC was the importance of the role of those women mm -hmm. um, in his life to help him financially and emotionally. I understand, of course, he had a unique talent, but when I, for example, think of myself or other people that I know in my lifetime, um, without some support like this kind or another, we might not have been here. And uh, in my case, without the support of a lot of women, including my mom, I couldn't be here. So I just wanted to show the importance of that um, in this yeah. podcast. Yeah, I think it's terrific. Um, I think I'll never hear WC in the same manner, you know? Um, I hope I did not ruin it for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, of course. Knowledge is power. Um, that's always what I say. Knowledge is power. I want, you know, I want to know as much as much as I can. Um, no, it's terrific. And I, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so honored to work with you. I just like, oh my gosh, I want oh, you to perform every month. <laughs> thank um, you. Maybe, maybe every month is too much, but quarterly, at least with the program of, mm -hmm. um, of uh, sharing um, opera and these art songs. I mean, I didn't even know art songs was a term, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea that was a term. And I mean, just what you're sharing, it, it does provide so much insight. And I think especially, I don't know, speaking from my own point of view, the more you know about other successful people and their how they lived their life and what they had to do and having empathy um, really helps you or I'm saying you helps yourself um, take reflection into your own personal journey of why mm -hmm. are we here you know um, we're living today in this really fast-paced um, multifaceted world that is entirely global we have more information than we ever have i don't have to go on and on and on but we we are forgetful um of the past and we tend to think that success and receiving money for our artistry is the only way of uh establishing or um uh translation of success and it's really not a lot of like uh, mm -hmm. I mean I'm not sure but I think a great deal of artists and musicians did not receive their success during their lifetime um, mm -hmm. I don't know in the case of WC but um, I think that we have to remember and I, I'm always sort of saying this that in the trajectory of art that it's a long-term inquiry you know and, and as an independent curator that's what I'm interested in. Um, you know, we, I, I don't quit my day job, you know, mm -hmm. um, we all have to have jobs <laughs> to yeah. um, help support us uh, to do what we love and what we're passionate about. And so um, I think it's just really brilliant what you're bringing to us and what you're sharing. And it's, from my understanding, it's completely unique. Um, mm -hmm. 
And we all have our own reasons why we're doing what we're doing and why you're sharing um, and why we're drawn to one another, you know, mm -hmm. why we Absolutely. find each other. Um, and I just, um, I'm so grateful for you, Shuka. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Victoria. It's, yeah, it's a mutual no feeling. Yeah, you have no idea. Um, I'm so grateful for uh, our friendship and you as a performance um, performance artist um, and as a composer, um, I know as well as being a soprano, you're a pianist and then also you're a very accomplished accomplished at playing flute. I was just listening to one of your pieces on Instagram <laughs> the other day when I was driving, naughty me, but I did. And, um, you know, it's just like, this, this is, to me, this is like the wealth of life, you know? Mm -hmm. Thank you, you described it beautifully. Um, yeah. I think I, it's been a question in my mind um, the past, 12 years of my journey as an opera singer and um, the only way I could answer what makes me a happy person is like exactly in line with what you said it's not just about making money it's about the mm, how I can spend quality time every minute of my life and I could do it through um, getting out of the physics major which I was a great student at but entering a field, knowing all the challenges or not knowing some of the challenges, but keep going. And mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so I really respect um, what you said that um, this is called wealth, not necessarily millions of dollars. Not that I don't like to have them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably will. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, I remember my 20 year old self I was studying, you know, literature, poetry, sword fencing, um, uh, art, of course, music, and trying to just shape a well-rounded individual, mm -hmm. um, playing chess as well, and just trying to shape this individual that was had, um, again, it's not about well, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't about money. It was about the wealth of understanding the arts mm -hmm. and sciences and things like that. I'm not very good at science, but, <laughs> but, but, but to be that way. And I think um, being in Boston certainly is a, a wonderful place to, to sort of dwell in that world. And I know we mm -hmm. both share um, my time in Boston and your time in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is um, is is there anything else you'd like to share? Yes, actually, um, I'm gonna make it shorter, but um I would like to talk about um another singer. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's fascinating to me that me as an opera singer, I've never really heard of her name that much until I started doing this research. Mm -hmm. All we know of the Opera world is Maria Callas, is Pavarotti, is Leontin Price, which I did. I she's one of my role models. She's one of the she's the first African American singer who had a leading role at the Metropolitan Opera House. But fantastic, mm, yeah. But before, uh, unless 
we have such an event, which I'm really grateful for. We, even Sopranos, we don't uh, start search researching who were the uh, pioneers of uh, Sopranos, who were, the, who were the first Sopranos that sang these pieces. And um, <clears throat> this woman is called uh, Florence Easton. She was from Britain. And um, she was the one who premiered the aria Omio Bapino Taro by Puccini. And actually, um, she was at the same, like, she was uh, a friend with Puccini. And Puccini literally asked her to create this role in the premiere, which was at the Met, but unfortunately, because of the World War II, Puccini couldn't be there. Mm -hmm. um, this, uh, this soprano is very interesting. Um, she is, she was a very strong woman, which I'm really surprised I've never heard of her name. Um, she used to, um, so let me restart this way. Each soprano has a voice register or fach. And the way we are born, the structure of our larynx and pharynx, the structure of our vocal folds and the entire vocal box creates a specific vocal range for us that Yes, we can stretch it to a little bit higher notes or lower notes for a specific amount of time. But after that amount of time, it'll start hurting our vocal folds. And this is um, what partially happened to Maria Callas as well, because she was singing so many different opera roles. And what it means is that if I'm a, I'm a lyric soprano, there was an, uh, it means, for example, I can sing from a certain note to another certain note, let's say, um, Two and a half octaves. Let me see if I'm correct. <laughs> two, or yeah, two and a half or three octaves. Uh, but what makes different voice registers different from one another is the roles we sing. For example, I might sing a song that has the same notes that um, a mezzo soprano might sing, and I'm a soprano. So, mezzo soprano can maneuver more on the lower notes. Uh, so what makes a difference is that those composers create the music, the way the music is helping the singer carry out her voice. How is the composer making the singer go from a low note to the high note? How many times is she maneuvering on the high notes? Mm -hmm. All of this um, contour and like progression in the music uh, creates the specific weight of an opera role. Mm -hmm. So what is really fascinating with Florence Easton is that she's one of the rare sopranos in the world in the history of opera that she used to sing in so many different voice registers without having her voice hurt, which is really, I just think it's magic mm -hmm. because uh, I don't know what kind of talents, what kind of strong body she must have had that she could handle that. For example, she could sing very girlish, delicate um, roles, to mm -hmm. all of a sudden Wagnerian roles. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would like to mention, Wagnerian operas are one of the hardest ever. Mm -hmm. They are very heavy and that one single opera can go for days. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not that you go to an opera house and it takes two hours. It's like four different days, four hours of opera. And mm -hmm. again, I'm not gonna get into the technicality of the music, but the way it's written, it's, it's taxing on the body. So mm. you have to be prepared for it. And when I researched about Florence Easton, I was, it was mind blown. She, she was 
she had this reputation of, for example, learning an entire Wagnerian opera role only in 10 days. And mm. she was a substitute for opera houses of all of a sudden a singer can't make it and she only has 24 hours. She would learn the entire role without a single rehearsal. <laughs> Oh when I was God. researching, tears were coming down because um, she was, I don't know you call witch or wizard for female, but she was definitely a wizard of singing. singing. So um, mm. just knowing that she could do that, and she was also not born into a super rich family. She was born into a regular family in England then, that unfortunately, um, in a course of three years, two years actually, both of her parents died and her legal guardians, which were her grandparents, they were forcing her to let go of singing because they were traditionally thought singing is a shame and a woman should only sing at home. So they were forcing her to get married. So thinking about these scenarios at 1901, that is a big deal. We are still living in a society that we still are dealing with these pressures from our families, but much less. I'm still dealing with some mental patterns in my head, even, even if my mom doesn't come and like force me to get married. And I can't imagine a, a woman that who had this, these challenges literally 120 years ago, she was able to leave them and continue her opera career. And she was so progressive for her time that she was like, investing in Wall Street. So she was multi, very cool, multifaceted um, woman, which is fascinating to me. Wow. And there are more than 400 recordings of her mm -hmm. singing different opera roles and different genres. She was just a, a phenomenal singer that no one talks about. And um, so I really wanted to just mention that um, that she is definitely one of my role models. And then she got married and then be, in that high peak of her profession, because her husband, who was also married, signed a contract with American um, opera tour. She gave away her singing career to sit home to, so that he could tour with, her, with the opera and she could take care of the newborn baby. And again, this, this kind of a challenge for someone who's at the peak of all the opera houses is just mind blowing. Mm -hmm. um, which again, she was very ahead of her time that she got divorced in a few years. And um, again, she continued her opera career. Good and the her. last thing, yeah, <laughs> absolutely good for her. I mean, the steps she took in her life, sometimes we don't take those steps in our lives in this century. And it's, um, I really admire how some of these women were so progressive and didn't take no for an answer. And we mm -hmm. could really learn from that because they certainly lived in more suppressed times than now. Mm -hmm. And one thing I would like to mention to uh, probably sum up all of my points is that opera is a very uh, like pure opera. If someone wants, someone's goal is just to enter, for example, the Metropolitan Opera House or tour with the opera companies, and sing the already composed operas is a very, very tough and brutal world. Because as an example, this lady, Florence, um, she once, like, like it is really this brutal. On the stage, um, 
she forgot the lyrics. It was one of those um, substitute um, roles that they casted her right away. Um, and one of the scenes, she forgot a few roles and she was already a famous opera singer. They canceled the entire contract for the rest of the tour with her. And mm. this was really um, devastating for her. And I think for a few years, she didn't go back to the opera. And again, in another time, she fell on the stage. She tripped on her dress and she twisted her spine. And, oh, um, <clears throat> and yeah, she mentions that actually um, no one didn't notice. And so the curtains with all of those um, lead like uh, holders for the curtains, they were all about to fall on her. And um, so again, after that, she didn't go back to the opera world. So uh, the point I would like to make is that it is so difficult for one, a woman to keep um, like a full span of years or seasons with an opera company successfully. And if it doesn't happen, <clears throat> I still praise that woman. And if it happened, she has supernatural powers because there's so many things that can get in the way uh, mm -hmm. that they, they don't fit in a normal life. Um, they fit in a, that you want, someone has to choose to, to go through all those challenges and not have a regular life that the society defines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah, it's really, it's really amazing. Um, I, I, I wonder why people don't know about her. Yeah, I'm why? wondering the same. <laughs> I wonder why. Most probably it's because it was from 120 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. we just know the ones that were recent or are still singing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think if, if there used to, if there could be some sorts of research on touching the people's lives, not necessarily the history of music or the structure of the music, maybe this could um, raise the interest, gain the interest of more audience to go to opera houses, because this is one of the dilemmas of opera houses, that less and less people are being attracted to it, because they just go there, hear the same opera, but they don't know what it's talking about, and they don't know the story, or like, they probably won't don't have the motivation because if they know more history or more on why those singers are there and how they could be there, maybe they would be more interested. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, yeah, they sh I, I recommend they do something. I recommend us doing a more another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I recommend you. Um, I recommend you. I recommend me getting you a column in a magazine so you can write about an opera, a, a famous soprano each quarterly. I recommend <laughs> uh, a YouTube channel <laughs> because you know in my research of operas, there there wasn't. I mean, there wasn't a lot, you know, just on YouTube mm -hmm. watching documentaries. There wasn't too much. So I and and that's also what they said. Like it has this this um, people they just don't know enough about it, and so they're they're you know curious. Well, and and really, what one of these documentaries said is that you know the opera music is 
is in all over the place. It's in commercials. It's, you know, mm -hmm. people take bits of it and, um, and we just don't even realize. We just think that it's this esoteric thing, you mm -hmm. know, and it, it's actually, yes, it is a special thing, but it, there's actually more, more, we more, we know more about it than we think because it's, mm -hmm. it is around us. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, um, I want to say thank you again for joining me and um, uh, please come and visit. Um, not please, but come, come to the event on Saturday, September 23rd at El Nido in um, East Hollywood off of Western Avenue. Um, my website is uh, vcprojects.art. Um, Shuka, your website, um, Shuka Ashbar. Um, Actually, um, it's Afshar, A-F-S-A, yeah. Okay, do you want to spell it out for our listeners mm -hmm. so they can Google you? It's S-H-O-O-K-A, again, A-F as in flower, S as in Sam, H-A-R.com. So it's okay. shukaafshar.com. You know, it's a, my last name, believe me, in Iran, everyone says my last name wrong too. It's hard to okay. say Afshar. <laughs> Um, you're on Instagram as the Quantum Soprano, right? You call the Quantum Soprano, yes. Uh huh. Do you have a Twitter or Facebook or anything else? Anything I else do. that can find you? Mm -hmm. In my Twitter, I'm Shuka Afshar. And in my Facebook official page, it's um, Shuka Afshar Official. Okay. And my YouTube is also Shuka Afshar. Okay. So people should. Um, get out there and, and watch you and hear you and, um, and explore your world. And of course, um, I'll have all this information on the details of this podcast, but um, we're gonna continue to work together and, um, and create more programs and things like that. Absolutely, so, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. So. Um, thank you for joining me, and I look forward to this Saturday. Thank you so much, Victoria. This was a wonderful podcast, and I'm really looking forward to Saturday. And I just want to mention something to the audience that I'm recovering from a cold, so that's why my voice, I'm trying to save my voice. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay, okay. Thank right. you. Excellent. <laughs> thank you. Sure, bye. Bye-bye.